Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Our reading is from page 957 in the Pew Bible, or you can refer to the bulletin, has the passage to keep in front of you if you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes to a group of people that have been extremely careless in regard to their sinfulness and to their engagement in sin in terms of idolatry and sexual immorality. Two things that he mentions in this same chapter talking about Israel in the Old Testament and how they fell and were judged because of their involvement in these things. And so this, this passage comes as a warning to them that this sin that you think you're uh, immune to, the, the judgment and the, the deadly result and consequences of sin, uh, you are not immune to it. This temptation that has overtaken you is the same kind of temptation that overtook the Israelites and, and they died in the wilderness. Don't think you're immune to this. And he, as we've seen, he as an apostle, even an apostle, says, I take every care to live my Christian life. I, I give myself completely to this race. I'm running it to win and I give everything to it. Lest I myself would be found to be disqualified in that last day. So however sure Paul was of his salvation, and he was absolutely sure of his salvation, it only urged him more to give himself up to Christ, realizing that uh, if I fall away from him, if I give in to sin, if I am careless with sin, there's no telling what it could do in my life. That was Paul's attitude. Even as an apostle, he had the deepest respect for the, the damage and destruction of sin. And he was speaking to them uh, to urge them not to endanger themselves in this way. Also, uh, not to excuse themselves that they were in special circumstances so that they were liable to sin in a way other people weren't. They couldn't help it because of the way they were. And we'll, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more next week. Also next week, we're going to talk about the way of escape and what are all the ways that God gives us to escape temptation. Many, I think, that we are not uh, taking. But this morning, we want to really focus on God's faithfulness and what it means in the midst of the temptation that we face. Notice verses 12 and 13 then. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed lest he fall. There's the warning. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. There's a common temptation. There's a common danger. Take heed. However, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let us pray then. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your commitment to do us good in the midst of a world of danger, a world in which we are at war with the enemy. As Paul himself says, it's not flesh and blood, but behind whatever conflict we have, whatever temptation, is the warfare of the spiritual authorities and rulers in the evil places. Oh, Lord, help us to see not only the gravity and the difficulty of this temptation and this war, but the faithfulness of God in the midst of it. Bless us, Lord, that we will engage as true warriors, joyfully giving ourselves up to the will of our gracious Lord. Amen. It's really amazing as we have now a grandchild, to, and it's not just that we observe her, but we are more observant perhaps to all little kids like this, and we remember our children and our friends' children. It's just amazing how early they learn to sin. just amazes you. And the sophistication and the understanding, it's not just that if someone's sitting in your chair, it's your little chair, and some other child's sitting in the chair, you understand, okay, well, there's a sense of belonging, a sense of what's mine, a sense of what's somebody else's. But why do you hit the person that's in your chair? Why do you hit them and want to pull them and want to hurt them? You know, what's the connection? Why, Why do damage to somebody? Because they're in your chair. It's just amazing, you see, how early, how a part of our lives living for ourselves is. We're like these two elephants I saw at the zoo years ago. The guy, we were there at the time of feeding. They put a big pile of hay right between these two elephants. The first move on the part of the bigger one was with his trunk. (laughs) The other... Trump couldn't reach it. He had all of the hay, you know. He didn't care, you know. I don't, you may starve, and you may starve the next time and the next time, but I'm eating some hay right now, you know. And it's cute in elephants, but boy, in human beings, that's our life. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says uh, Jesus died that we would no longer live for ourselves, no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. We don't live for him by nature. We live for ourselves. We live against everyone else in the final analysis. No matter how much good we may do, we, in the final analysis, live for ourselves until Christ renews us and our lives are once again given up to God, given up to Christ, and therefore can begin to be given up to other people like God gives himself up for his people. So this idea of temptation is frightening when you think about it's starting with one-and-a-half-year-olds and two-year-olds and three. And, I mean, by the time we're six and seven and eight, we're just, we're in the bag, you know. We're just, the powers that are against us are terrible. But in the midst of this, and we're going to do two things this morning, talk about the gravity of the battle, the gravity of the war, but the faithfulness of God. I don't want to lessen it, you know, to say God is faithful, then we 
kind of sit back, it's easy, no big deal, God is faithful. But we need both of those things. We need to understand how serious, devastating this war is, and yet God's faithfulness in the midst of it. And that, I think, will cause us to be aware of all the enemy is coming at us with, what it's coming at us with, and to give ourselves energetically, expectantly, that I can continue to grow day after day after day after day and be a different person week after week after week by God's grace in the midst of this terrible warfare that I find myself in. That's the great challenge of being believers. We are aware, and yet we are moving out, and God is blessing us. So the first point, obviously, from this uh, passage is just God is faithful. He is reliable. You can depend on it. He will never fail you in this regard to let you be tempted beyond what you're able. It will never happen. He will not allow it. This word uh, allow here in the passage, he will not uh, uh, let you be tempted. Uh, Many times in classical Greek, it's translated as hinder or or forbid or prevent. He will prevent, he will forbid it to happen. For instance, when the disciples, when Paul is was attempting to go into Bithynia in Acts 16. The Spirit would not let them go to Bithynia. Or later in chapter 19, Paul was going to go among a rioting crowd, but the disciples would not let him. So this is, this is God's action. He will not let it happen, you see, in that sense. Uh, I love this, the use of this word in Luke 22 when the high priest's ear was cut off in the garden, when Jesus was arrested, Jesus said, no more of this. And it's this word. It's like, absolutely not. It will not happen. And, and that's the idea. It will not, it cannot happen. Because he is completely engaged in your life. And don't think that because there are even a billion Christians in the world, that he's any less attentive to exactly your personal situation. Because he's an infinite God. It doesn't matter how many people he has to deal with. It's as though you're the only person in terms of the attention that he gives you. It's like you and, let's say, your two-year-old at the mall or at the grocery store. It's not just that you don't allow your child out of your sight. For instance, say you're at Walmart... It's not that you're in line getting some turkey and you keep coming back to the aisle and see all the way, at this Walmart over here at least, all the way the other end, and you can see your little two-year-old down in the garden section. You feel okay. You know, I, I, I think I still see her back there. It's okay. No, that's not what you do. Or you're not at the Galleria and your little two-year-old, you're on the top level, fourth thing up there and you're looking down and your husband says, can you still see Sally down there on the bottom floor? I think I still see her down in that little group by the restaurant. No, you know, that's not keeping your eye on your child. And sometimes we think that must be how God is. You know, you're just way in the distance. He kind of keeps an eye on you, kind of watching you, but he's not really that engaged. You know how it is at the mall. I mean, your child is in your arms. A two-year-old's in my... Like, with, when I go to the uh, store with Lila, uh, my granddaughter, she's either in my arms, she's in the basket right next to me, or maybe she's standing right next to me and we're looking at something on the shelves. But she is never further than an inch away from me in that place. And that, wonderfully, is what God is with you in all places. 
He is faithful to you, faithful to you, and never allows a circumstance in which temptation is beyond your ability in Christ, understood there, as a new believer who has died to sin and now lives to righteousness, as a believer filled by the uh, Holy Spirit, he will never allow sin, uh, temptation to be beyond what you are able. He really is with you. And he is really in charge of every circumstance. And that's why we sang what we did this morning. Whatever, whatever my God ordains is right. He ordains the situation perfectly in every circumstance. So, as Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's how you need to think about him, always. He is very present help in trouble. I love this passage in Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. Okay? My, I'm at the end of my strength. I, I can do nothing. I have no native ability. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's our encouragement. <laughs> there may be in me nothing at all, but God is my strength and he is my present help. And he's just like I would be with my granddaughter at the mall in his attentiveness to me and his protection of every circumstance. Number one, God is faithful, but number two, believers are careful. I know your first thought is, well, not all the time, you know, right. I understand that. And so it could be titled believers are called to be careful or believers should be careful or must be careful, but I'm just going to leave it that way because I like God is faithful. Believers are careful, but (laughs) more importantly to say this, that generally not perfectly, but generally Believers are careful. That's why they call them believers. Okay? They believe God. They believe that He is to be followed. They believe that sin is serious. They believe in His warnings. They believe in His promises. Believers are careful. That's what marks them as believers. And so... Believers have new life in Christ. Because of that new life, we do begin to trust Him, even though not perfectly. We believe in His goodness. We believe in His love for us in Christ. We want to entrust our lives to Him and please Him and avoid sin. And so, in verse 12, we would believe this. Take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. We believe Him when He says that. So believers are careful. And the point I want to make is that God's faithfulness does not mean that you in turn are allowed to now tempt God constantly by not staying away from sin and being careful with your life. In the very next verse, after saying God is faithful, he doesn't say, so sit back, relax, no big deal, God is faithful. He says, God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, so flee idolatry. (laughs) See the combination? This is what God will do in your presence all the time, governing your circumstances. And you might think, so I can just go anywhere and do anything because God... No, flee idolatry. Flee sexual immorality. Flee whatever would lead you to sin. 
And then you realize that part of God's faithfulness is to enable us to see when we need to flee and to do it. That's part of His faithfulness. And so, it does not mean that because He is near, I don't have to be careful anymore. But here's what it means. Please get this. It means that now I have hope that in my extreme carefulness, I can be effective. See, that's my hope. That in my warfare, in my careful battle against sin, I can really, really refuse sin. I can really grow in Christ. I can really be a different person progressively in my life. Apart from Him, it's a lost cause, as John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Psalm 28, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. So it is that alone that enables us. is His power and strength. I love what Psalm 33 says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who hope in his steadfast love. So we are not depending on our own strength. And we're not, because God is present and faithful, saying that I don't need to do anything, but we are entrusting ourselves to Him, knowing He alone can do it, but He will surely do it. And so I can hurl myself into the war. And so, in this particular uh, passage early, or or I should say uh, later in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 2, If you could turn just a few pages over, or let's yeah, chapter two of Second Corinthians, he says in verse six, after they had disciplined a person. um, Oh wait, that's that's going to come in a minute, but I do want you to turn there because we're about to turn there. My, it's funny, I, I, had, I had printed my Sunday school on front and back, and I usually only print this on the front, so suddenly I was on page three. Uh, and if you saw the little bead of sweat, that was, you know, like, but it's on the back. There you go. Okay. And you'll be glad to know it's point three already, so that that make you happy as well. Um so God is faithful. Believers are careful for obvious reasons. And then thirdly, Satan is ruthless. Satan is ruthless. Satan, as we see from Scripture, is relentless, tireless, brilliant, experienced, powerful, and full of hatred for us. It is so important for us to understand how... how Needful we are of the grace of God and what it means that God is faithful in the midst of this kind of warfare. Uh, temptation is a difficult, difficult war. We remember how difficult the war in Vietnam was. Was it just clean cut, go in and take out the enemy? You didn't know where the enemy was. And fighting in the jungle, you didn't know when you were going to be taken out. Just walking through the jungle was a horrible, uh, frightening thing. If you were... Uh, 
just trying to move to a new location. We also know how difficult Iraq has been in these years. This continued protracted war in which people blow themselves and innocent citizens up as part of the warfare. It's just horrible and terrible. And I think those are good good pictures of the kind of warfare that we're engaged in with the enemy. It is not an easy war. And he comes at us in ways that we can hardly imagine. God is faithful, but we must live carefully realizing that Satan is is ruthless. Because he's ruthless and relentless, temptation doesn't come at you from just one direction. Temptation is not over just one or two issues in your life. It's pervasive and varied. It can be as bold as a rush of anger or jealousy, or it can be as slight as a slowly eroding desire for prayer. Just over a long period of time, you find yourself to be a person that really doesn't pray anymore. So you were tempted in that silent, quiet way to just let prayer fade from your life. It can be immediate and strong and obvious like a person making a pass at you at work. Or it can be a persistent and constant over a period of months or years, hardening you through the temptation, for instance, that accompanies pain and hurt so that in the end you refuse to trust the goodness of God and you refuse to give yourself away to others. Temptation is, can be subtle like a slow draining of interest in the Word. Temptation could be such that you fall and pray in whatever way you've been tempted, never even to be a person who reads and knows and relishes the Word of God. You might not think of that as temptation, but you've been tempted, some of you, and you've succumbed to it, to be a person who really has never gotten into the Word of God personally. That's part of temptation, you see. It comes at us in so many ways. He tempts you to, with some outward sin, and if you turn away from that outward sin, then you have the temptation to pride and self-righteousness that's awaiting in the wings, along with the temptation to hold others in contempt because they didn't turn away from that sin. If you lack money, you're tempted to covet and worry because you don't have enough. And then when you get it, you're tempted to overspend it, to depend on it as your security, or to worry whether you will keep it or to hoard it yourself. No matter your condition, good or bad. He tempts you to leave the Lord's side in holding out how attractive sin is and how good it will be. Then when you you sin, he attacks you and accuses you so that you don't think God could forgive you. That's what it, you know, it's so good. And then when you're in it, you're so evil and he will not forgive you now. Tries to carve you away from God, then he tries to keep you from God. Or he hardens you so that the next time and the next, it's easier and easier And you begin multiplying your excuses for sin. He's always at it. He goes about, as Peter says, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you think about the lions as they are coming at a herd of gazelle or zebra. And they're always working to carve one out, right? Carve one out of the crowd and then to attack. And that's the idea that is always seeking someone to devour. 
And that's where the Second Corinthians passage comes in. He says there in verse 6, uh, speaking about this thing of discipline, for such a one that was disciplined, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So reaffirm your love for him. And he talks more. And finally, he says in verse 11, we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs or it could be translated his schemes, his plots. And so here, this certain person of the congregation has been disciplined for their open sin. Uh, This was Satan's first accomplishment, creating the division. But when they had repented, now the temptation was to exercise severe punishment, not being willing to receive this person back into fellowship, not giving that person the reassurance of their love and Christ's love. We don't know whether this stemmed from vindictiveness on the part of the Corinthians or neglect or self-righteousness or what, but that would be Satan's second accomplishment in this, you see to keep the congregation divided instead of being restored to wholeness and forgiveness. So you could say that Satan is a stowaway on every train of circumstance that comes into your life. He's a stowaway on every train of circumstance. Jumping aboard an empty boxcar, he arrives with the circumstance, gets out, studies the situation, proceeds to see what he can do with it. Whether it's good or bad, that doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter what is happening, so long as he could use it against you. He's like a master craftsman that can work with wood or copper or steel or concrete or plastics. He can work with any circumstance and try to use it to draw you away from Christ. In the second Star Wars, uh, the Empire Strikes Back toward the end, right before Luke finds out that Darth Vader is indeed his father, I know those of you who have not read them are, you know, so, en- so engrossed at this point. But um, they're having this major laser sword battle. And at one point, the battle really changes when Darth Vader starts showing his superior power. Instead of wielding the uh, saber, he starts just willing things to start attacking. So all these huge objects start flying at Luke from every direction, you know, and he's just... Uh, He's not just the sword. He's got all these things flying at him that Darth Vader is bringing against him. And I think that's a great illustration of how Satan comes at us. He comes at us in every direction, in every circumstance, trying to draw us away from Christ. And whether you realize it or not, this is how he comes after God's people. That's why we say we must be careful And yet, how wonderful it is that in the midst of that kind of attack, God is faithful. God is faithful. In the midst of that kind of power wielded against us, as as Paul himself outlines it in Ephesians 6, God is faithful. And so I have hope in my carefulness that I can change and I can grow. Let me just illustrate quickly the temptations that surround probably you'd think the most holy thing is is worship and the temptations that surround this. You're tempted not to think about worship until the moment you sit down and open the bulletin. You're tempted not to prepare for worship, not to ask the Lord to pour out His blessing on our worship. 
You're tempted to walk into worship with no expectation, no desire, but completely distracted and unthoughtful and uncaring. Now, this could happen sometimes because of great difficulties in your life so that you have to just come in and say, Lord, I'm just so broken and distracted by the difficulties. Lord, draw me after yourself. But we're tempted not to even cry out like that. (laughs) We're tempted just to wallow in our spiritual funk as we sit there. Uh, We're we're tempted to, to hear a call to worship or maybe not even be there for it, of course, if we're late, but... We're tempted not to hear a call to worship as anything but just something he said before the the singing started. And we're we're tempted to have wandering minds so that our mouths are moving in hymns, but our hearts are far away. We ignore the words that we're singing. We're we're tempted to uh, even enjoy the music or not enjoy the music so much that we don't even think about what we're singing because we're caught up with, I like this song. Or, I don't like this song, um, and we don't worship. We're uh, tempted just with singing in that regard. We're tempted with prayer even more to have a wandering mind. We're tempted not to listen to the sermon in the first place, to think more about our problems and responsibilities instead of the Word, not in light of the Word, or pleasures, or recent events, or our dreams, or upcoming events instead of the Word. And then when we do listen, we're tempted not to really get emotionally engaged in that Word. Or if we do hear some of it and we like it, we're tempted to, in the end, do nothing about it that week and really never think about it again. Those are the temptations. And I've just started in that, but those are the temptations that surround worship. If you hadn't seen Sunday morning as a battleground, then let's wake up. Even in this circumstance... He goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so, are we watchful and sober even when we come to worship? Or are we the spiritual equivalent of being half asleep or drunk when we come to worship? For me personally, because I have a lot of things to do in the worship, I've had times of singing four hymns, and I couldn't tell you one single thing that I sang. Not the first I wasn't worshiping. I'm breaking a sweat because uh, what's the name of that baby that I was going to baptize? And oh, I'm going to forget this and that, you know, all this kind of thing, you know. Now, on good days, it's not that way, but it can happen to me just probably more than you. That I can be so distracted by responsibilities that I, the pastor and leader of worship, I'm not even worshiping. No. How pathetic. Who am I leading to do what when my heart is far away? And so um, the game is on um, and guarding of temptation, not allowing it to be beyond what I'm able to bear does not mean that I do not have to be careful. But it means that I have great hope that as I engage and watching and praying. You remember what Jesus said that night to the disciples, watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. They slept. And so when the soldiers came, did they stand strong? Did they uh, go along with Jesus? Were they willing to be arrested? Did they submit to him and identify with him? Every one of them ran. 
And Jesus had said, watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. And yet they did not. And so I'm calling us to that new watchfulness, but with the hope God is faithful. His power and His protection. That's what His steadfast love means, that He will be in in the middle of every situation. Would you allow a situation beyond what your child can handle in the mall? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. Frail people with so many sinful tendencies, you would not allow that. Would you allow your child to hold knives or to have a dangerous substance? Would you let your child go up to an unknown dog? Would you walk, let them walk down steep steps with a dangerous siding that a child could fall through? You wouldn't do this. God's not going to do it with you. So you can't make that excuse ever, you know, that I'm just in a situation that I couldn't help. Absolutely faithful. And I leave you with this uh, glorious promise in James 4, 7. And he uses language here that is war language. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the word flee means an army hightailing it in battle. Retreat. Leaving the field of battle because they're getting defeated. They're being beaten, and they better get out of there. They're going to get killed. Now, I don't think literally that's the case, you know, in a, with the enemy, with demonic forces. But this is the point James is making, that as you resist him, you will win the day. You can. He would not give this command. This command is a promise to you believers. Resist him, and he will flee from you, because God is faithful. And as your take-home at the front of your bulletin, there are three passages that talk about the faithfulness of God and how He keeps us all the way to that final day in which we will be presented before Christ. And I ask you, if you don't know Christ, will you not put yourself in the hands of this one who is faithful, who is devoted to the good of His people and will be devoted to your good to increasingly transform you and set you free from your own worst things that you are and have done. And he sets you free to experience forgiveness for these and a transforming power so that more and more you become a glorious and beautiful person who gives himself or herself away in Christ. Will you not put yourself in the hands of such a Savior? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and how it calls us to the greatest warfare against such a ruthless enemy and that there is great hope for our continued transformation by the grace of this God who is faithful to his people. Lord, we praise you that you never leave us alone. We praise you that the work you've begun in us, you will complete to the day of Christ Jesus. We praise you that you are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, give us a new vigor, a new strength, a new belief in your great power. And, Lord, especially that in the particular things that we have been struggling with, and with this many people, there are that many stories of it. Oh, Lord, give us true progress and keep us, Lord, from wickedly wallowing in sinful practices in habits that have gone on for so long. 
Oh, Lord, by your grace, break us free. May we truly believe we are dead to sin and alive to God. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of